Hello and welcome to So What You're Saying Is. I'm Peter Whittle. Now, I'm delighted that my guest today is somebody that you probably already watch actually almost every week. He is on GB News. He has a show called Free Speech Nation. Andrew Doyle is known, of course, as a comedian too and as the creator of Titanium McGrath um, and also an author. And he's got a new book which is coming out in a couple of weeks. It's called The New Puritans. Here it is. Um, it's coming out on September the 8th, Andrew, right? That's correct. And, but it can be pre-ordered. But thank you very much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's, a, it's a pleasure. Um, you've had quite a trial getting here, haven't you? Oh, just the travel, just the trains. Yes. Just a slight bit of rain and everyone in London panics. <laughs> yes, no. and, uh, um, before we talk about this, actually, Andrew, I, well, it is germane completely to this. Um, I know you've already commented on it on your show, but uh, this is going out... What, a week ago, we had this appalling incident in New York, mm. Salman Rushdie being uh, attacked. Fortunately, it seems that he is okay. Yes. That's hardly the point. Um, what do you think of the reaction? Have you been, do you think it's been, are you ha I say happy with the reaction? I think you know what I mean. Yes. Or do, do you think people have been equivocating or do you think it's actually been supportive? I've seen a bit of equivocation, the kind of thing that we got when the fatwa was, was originally announced in 1989, and there were debates. You remember there were all these debates on TV about you know, whether he was partly to blame for writing the book in the first place. Yeah. Uh, I remember even my RE teacher at school saying, well, he shouldn't have written a book that was offensive to, really? to Muslims. Yeah, uh, And that seemed to be a, quite a standard viewpoint, which I thought was disgraceful, even as a child. I, I knew that was wrong. And um, uh, there's been less of that, I think with this latest attack. I have seen some, though I've seen some. I've seen the Jolly Moore, you know, the uh, tax lawyer and fox killer guy. Um, he said yeah. something online about, you know, how uh, freedom of speech is really about working out who has the power and are they using mm -hmm. their mm -hmm. platforms in order to defend uh, their privilege or to uh, challenge or to support those without privilege. Yeah. And of course, that is the central creed of the New Puritans, the people I'm writing about in my book. That's the central creed of their ideology, that all artistic expression whether it's a, a, a joke, a play, a film, a novel, yep. one of Salman Rushdie's novels, is just reduced to uh, a means by which power is uh, preserved or challenged. Yep. Uh, and that means that's why uh, these ideologues are so ill-equipped to talk about art, because they, they, they can't see it as anything other than power structures. Yep. Um, but I am heartened that so many people have been open in their defense of Rushdie and Rushdie's right to write the books that he wants to, uh, people have been tweeting about the book, um, and and you know I, I think that's a positive step forward. But we mustn't let it happen again. I think and not not the attack. I'm not talking about. There's nothing we can do about the occasional uh, psychopaths who might do these kind of things. But we have to take a stand about against those, such as the Iranian government, who are now saying that it's his fault and everyone who supported him. We have to sort of draw a line in the sand and say no. You know, it was like with the Batley Grammar School incident we had with Charlie Hebdo with the beheading of Samuel Patti. In all of these cases, we have to say no to the equivocation. We have to say freedom of speech means that everyone has the right to say whatever they want. And if you're offended, that is your problem. And I, you know, again, with, with Charlie Hebdo, I was so disappointed after all these world leaders came out and said, just sweet Charlie and yeah. everything. And they, then they did it for about a day. And then they were like, well, actually, Charlie Hebdo is a horrible racist magazine. Mm -hmm. And of course it isn't. It's won awards for its anti-racism. It's, it's absolutely not. I mean, that's just a philistine interpretation of what they do um and we just have to say you know enough is enough if if people write books and that offends people it's never going to be the author's fault 
if some people react in that way? Problem is, though, it seems to me, is that you know you get these people occasionally, commentators, uh, who write sort of slightly complacently, saying, "Oh, well, you know, we've moved on. You know, it, you know, yeah. we wouldn't have this now." And I think, well, actually, no, we wouldn't have a kind of the same kind of crisis that happened when uh, uh, Sanic Verses came out, yeah, because it wouldn't get published. And I mean, no. this is this is the worry. It seems to me is that even though people condemn isn't the self-censorship that we have gone through and internalized isn't basically isn't that permanent it's hugely depressing if it is i'm hoping it's reversible that's one of my my feelings that it is that it could be i mean if you think about it yes you're right this is a book like the satanic verses would not be published today right. there are not many books like the satanic verses it is a brilliant book uh, it is mostly about the immigrant experience in london mm -hmm. there are some sequences where which are based on the foundation stories of Islam and those are the elements that caused offence but let's face it the majority of people who were angry about it the people who were burning the book in Bradford on the streets you remember those images they hadn't read the book that, and uh, you know so the, it, this is but you're right it wouldn't be published now and we would be missing now yes. an in, a, a very very important piece of literature yes, yes. as a result of that so you know I hope to God we can reverse this it will take courage and it will mean that whenever there's events like the Batley Grammar School, we don't equivocate, we don't side with that mob. And you'll notice that those mobs started using the language of the woke. They started yeah. saying, well, we, we're worried about our safeguarding. And the teacher who showed the cartoons of the Prophet Muhammad was caught making children unsafe. And all of the same language. So there's this weird alliance now between the, the, what I call the critical social justice ideology and radical Islamism. You know, that's, that's a danger. The problem is, the problem is you know, is, is that the teacher in, in the Bacti Grammar School, that you, you might remember, uh, who showed these cartoons to his pupils, is still in hiding. Yeah. No one knows, obviously, where he is. And uh, it looks like it's going to sort of stay that way. Yeah. It seems to be the kind of weakness of the state in actually helping or standing up for people like this. This is what worries me, really. Yeah, absolutely. And you've had uh, politicians sort of trying to um, or invoking the idea of Islamophobia. Yeah. And that, for instance, often is a kind of umbrella term that would incorporate the kind of unpleasant thugs who would go to a mosque to throw bacon yeah. at, the, at the building or, 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 you know, attack people for being Muslim. And those are those are not people that anyone should support at all. But it will bracket those kinds of people with people who have legitimate criticisms of Islam. Mm -hmm. And Islam is a belief system. And like any other belief system, such as Marxism, you, we are entitled not just to crit criticize it, but to ridicule it yeah. if we wish to. Exactly. And we have to remember that that is so important, for, not, not just for artistic freedom, but for our freedoms more generally. We have to have that right. Yeah. And so I think what it will take is, when there are other attacks of this kind, and there will be, everyone needs to be, there needs to be a sense of solidarity about it from the media in, in particular mm. and not these sort of mealy mouth opinion columns in the Guardian talking about how well you know maybe you know they should consider the power structures that are embedded in society and they shouldn't write books like this well you know that's some Philistine who doesn't understand literature you you cover obviously all of these issues in your show on GB News don't you? Um, there's it seems to me just a never-ending wealth of material. Oh God, you're I mean, never ever going to run out. So when we started the show, I remember there was there were concerns. There were meetings at the at GB News. There were concerns that I wouldn't have enough material mm. for a weekly show on culture war issues. And as it as it transpires, I always have to leave stuff out. Yes, because it is yeah. unending. And I started when I started at GB News, 
part of my job. You know, every day I, I, I get up, I read the papers, and I, I create a log of the various stories that are related to this issue. And it is uh, every day. Yeah. There are many, many, many stories. Whereas about four or five years ago, there would be one or two a week. Now it's six or seven a day. Yeah. You know, that's just the way, where we are now, which makes it even more absurd that you have these people uh, saying there's no such thing as a culture war. It's a, I saw Joanna ha Joanne Harris, the uh, author of Chocolat, yes. today tweeting, yes. we mustn't get sucked into this fabricated culture war. Well, that's the kind of thing that culture warriors say. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's so, exactly. the evidence is everywhere. It is incontrovertible. And so to deny it is, of course, an extension of the culture war. This is a major tactic, which I talk about. There's a chapter in my book on this. That, that culture warriors will, are, are not attempting to criticize reality as it is. They're trying to offer a pseudo-reality, something that doesn't exist. They're not interested in the truth. They're in interested in multiple truths, ways of knowing, and therefore they can perpetuate a culture war and at the same time say there is no culture war. Yeah, yeah. And it's a kind of gaslighting, to borrow their term, yeah. because they are fighting a culture war, waging all of this, waging all of these, uh, these attacks on our traditions, every uh, cultural elements, our freedoms. And then they will say to you, the victim, you're just imagining it. None of this is happening. It's all in your head. Mm. I mean, that's, you know, you know the movie Gaslight, the yes, 1940 yes, film, yes, that's yes, what it was. Yes, yes. You know, the husband dims the lights. Yes. And the wife says, why is it getting dimmer? And he says, no, that's you. That's yes. It's all in your head. That's, that's what the culture warriors are doing. Yeah. So we have to restore the primacy of truth. Really, really important. That's going to be the way out of this. I noticed, by the way, the new futures that you've, the, the subtitle, how the religion of social justice captures the Western world. Um, there's no mention in there of the word woke. No. Um, I know you've written, obviously, about that. But I just wondered, do you think, is that intentional in the sense that, do you think that woke doesn't actually quite begin to cover it now? I mean, uh, you know, because people have said, that, I think even, um, well, Kemi uh, Badenoch has said this, I think, actually, that actually, that word is just not big enough anymore for what's happening. Well, what's what's actually happened is it goes i mean I, again in the book i've actually outlined precisely the history of the word woke the various evolutions that it's gone through i mean it's probably the best shorthand we have yeah. at the moment because the alternative is the critical social justice ideology which people don't understand you can't even say leftist identitarianism because they're not left-wing in any meaningful mm -hmm. sense because mm -hmm. they have no interest in, econ in redressing economic inequality um so woke is a shorthand an attempt to encapsulate this sprawling ideology with its various interdependent branches, and those fall into the lines of identity politics, race, gender, sexuality. Um, and so therefore it became a useful term to kind of encapsulate it. Um, but one of them, the major techniques of the adherence of this new religion is that when there is a term that arises to describe them, they will problematize the term so that you can no longer use it to describe them. So uh, for instance, go back to 2015, Jack Dorsey stands on a, on a stage at a conference with a Stay Woke t-shirt. Activists are saying, we are woke and proud of it. The Guardian is running headlines about woke all the time. Two or three years later, and of course, people like me are mocking them mm -hmm. and using the term to describe them. And so they then say, oh, it's a word invented by people like that to mock us. It's just a, a, a what do you call it? a snarl word mm -hmm. invented by the right. Uh, and then they're gaslighting you again because you can Google it and you can see that they used to call themselves that. But no, apparently that's not true. Yeah, yeah. Um, and what they're doing there is they're disarming you because this is largely the culture war, as I, through writing the book, I mean, I, it really hammered home to me. The culture war is largely uh, a battle about language and about who gets to control the meaning of words. And if they can redefine words while denying that they are doing so, 
make you doubt your senses. You can't defeat an enemy if you can't name that enemy. And this is a very deliberate technique. Yeah. So on the one hand, so I'm torn because on the one hand, I know that if I use the word woke, it will pretty accurately encapsulate and people will understand what I mean by that. Mm the various core tenets of that ideology, that people will get that. But at the same time, you'll have people saying, oh, he's just going on about the wokesters again, and it's just a, it, you know, and they'll, they'll try and undermine you that way. So, and largely what, what I wrote the book for is because I want to make the, all of this stuff accessible. Yes, and it is, you know, just to pursue that point, do you think it's too strong to say it's a cultural revolution? No, it's exactly right. Uh, it's a revolution waged through language and through ideas. Uh, and it's a revolution not just against uh, the, the social liberalism and the values that have underpinned our society for so long and made it so successful. It's also a revolution against the truth, against reality itself. And that's why it matters. Actually, that's a, a good place to, to start because in fact, you know, you, you, you start, there's a kind of, there is a kind of religious undertow to Marshall Smith. I mean, even in the, um, in your chapter headings, you know, Genesis, blasphemy, Revelation, Inquisition, this is all about religion. Isn't it? Yeah. You, you start talking, uh, uh, start off by talking about the Salem witch trials. Yes. I mean, I, mean a lot of, I don't know whether people know about this, but obviously it was in, also depicted, wasn't it, in uh, Arthur Miller's Crucible. Yes. Crucible. And this is where there was a kind of craziness that gripped yeah. Salem, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. I mean, the reason why I start and finish the book with the Salem witch trials is because I think it's a really interesting, there are so many parallels mm. between what we are experiencing uh, and the witch trials of, of, of Cambridge, of Massachusetts. Uh, th and one of the reasons is, although it was a relatively minor situation, I mean, there were thousands of people burned as witches across medieval Europe. Um, actually, the, the Puritans of New England, uh, this was like a slip up in their history. They didn't generally, they weren't really witch hunters. Mm. This was a, a moment of frenzy, a moment of hysteria and about 20, I think it was 20 people died in the end. So m marginal compared to what happened over in Europe. But, but the point is that reading about what happened there, you had a situation where people were caught up in a hysteria. They had bought into a false reality. They believed the girls' testimonies that there were these witches in their society, that their, their society was riven by the devil. Um, and the elites were propagating those myths. And it depended upon the elites propagating those myths. And we find ourselves in a similar situation here. We are told that our society, there are racists and fascists in every shadow, even though every study tells us again and again that our country is one of the most non-racist in the world yeah, that has yeah. ever existed. So the data is disregarded. And what we have instead is a hysteria uh, that is spread by the people who are pointing the fingers and crying witch. And they will do it. They often use phrases like turf they also use fascist, Nazi, yeah. racist, homophobe, Islamophobe. They have all of these things. And most crucially, uh, the evidence for their claims is what we would call, what they call lived experience, what the uh, witch hunters of Salem called spectral evidence. Spectral evidence. Yes, yeah. and it's the same thing. Yeah. It means that the girls say, you know, we, we've experienced it, therefore it's true. That's our, it's our truth. And that was taken as evidence. The reason the Salem witch trials collapsed is because there was a moment when uh, seven prominent members, I think it was seven prominent members of the clergy were contacted and said, is spectral evidence admissible in such cases? And they said, no. Right. And all of the prosecutions had been dependent on spectral evidence. There was nothing but, mm. that's all there was. Mm. You know, they were in the courts and the girls were pointing saying, this woman's spirit is flying out and pinching us. Oh, we can see her on the beam as a black bird or a yellow yes. man, yes. whatever, you know, these various uh, things. 
and it was just lived experience that secured the prosecutions. Um, and these girls also, I mean, you describe, they also started to imitate the various uh, mannerisms of the, of, of the, the people in the dock, as they it did. were, didn't they? Yeah, if they rolled their eyes, they would all roll their eyes. Yes. And that was taken as proof that they are therefore, yes. uh, you know, possessed. Yes. Um, so, you know, and it's, it's, it's very interesting. I mean, the, the parallels are there in terms of, our, well, the human susceptibility for groupthink, that's part of it. But also the way in which, I think the most important parallel is the way in which people will go along with a hysterical narrative yeah. to yeah. preserve themselves, right? Because most of us can see that this is nonsense. Well, well there's a lot of people who are confused because they can see that the, this ideology now dominates all of our major religions, uh, schools, the arts, the media, uh, even law enforcement, even the NHS. I mean, we can see it. The evidence is there. We're told it's not there, but it's there. Um, and even though this is, uh, this is ubiquitous, uh, we can't challenge it. We, 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 can't, we can't do anything about it because it, it how can I put it, it couches its, its methods in progressive language. So it uses phrases like anti-racism, yes, exactly. equity, social justice. Yeah. But of course it means the opposite. Um, and that's why I think it's, it's similar to an extent because although most people can see that this is not real, this hysteria is not real, they fear standing up and saying enough because they get caught up in what we now call cancel culture. You know, it takes courage to say uh, the witches aren't real. Um, it takes courage to say we actually don't live in a society full of racists and fascists. It takes courage to say JK Rowling isn't an evil witch, right? Um, but Salem came to an end because people finally did have the courage and there was that tipping point. And actually, interestingly, it happened because the girls started accusing the most powerful members in society. Um, but the more I've read about it, the more I've realized that I don't think a lot of the prosecutors really believed it. I think they were, they knew that for purposes of self-preservation, they had to go along with it. I think one of the most depressing things I've seen this, this past week, obviously apart from some rush attack on him, was a piece on Twitter. I think you commented on it, Andrew, as well. And uh, what looked like, you know, ordinary, quite random girls were being asked in the street, how would you define a woman? Yeah. They were being asked quite randomly by some Vox Pop yeah. know, reporter. And, uh, None of them could actually just simply say, well, it's an adult female. Well, it's, female. it's a perfect example. Human. Everyone can define that. Mm. A moderately intelligent five-year-old can define that. But you can see the fear in their eyes. Yeah. If you ask people, particularly politicians, I mean, we've seen all sorts of people, they, they, they're terrified of doing so. And this is what I mean. This is why I draw the parallel with, with Salem. Because to, to stand up and say, yes, I can define mm. a woman. This is what it means. Mm. But we've reached a point where that actually carries a certain risk. Mm -hmm. Doesn't so in other words, they don't necessarily, they can easily define a woman, but they're going along with what they're told they have to say. That. Right, exactly, yeah. exactly. You know, with you, uh, when this book, you start, because uh, what will resonate a lot is how this interferes with personal relationships. And yes. you start with your pro prologue here. Yes. Uh, story of a friend who called you in rather fruity language, basically <laughs> called you a Nazi or something, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. It, yeah. I won't say, you know, effing Nazi kind of whatever. Um, <laughs> First time we've had that on this show, really. <laughs> um, but uh, not through want of trying. But um, that that was it with that friendship, right? Oh yeah, I've never spoken to him since. I mean, that's uh, I wanted to start with a personal yeah. anecdote because I think so many people I speak to within this culture war scenario have lost friends mm. as a result of what's going on. Uh, just for speaking the truth, just for being the one that stands up and say, "Oh, I can define a woman," and and you know maybe, maybe we shouldn't have unconscious bias tests at work because we know they don't do anything. Yeah. Right? I mean, the, we know about that, the research is in on that. 
or saying, well, actually, I don't think uh, this university is institutionally racist and I would need some evidence for that, um, not just lived experience, right? So, uh, and people have lost friends. I mean, this is almost like a kind of weird civil war situation. So many people I know within this debate, people who have stood up for free speech, liberal values, women's rights, gay rights, uh, they've been accused of starting a culture war and they've been accused of being evil and they don't speak to people anymore. I mean, it's literally like that. Families are driven apart by this nonsense. Yes. Um, so I wanted to start with, because that was such an extreme example, it's a friend, I'd, uh, two friends I'd known for many years and we went for a drink. We were having drinks for about an hour. It was very jolly and then he just snapped and called me a Nazi and used those uh, yeah. offensive words as well. And I thought he was joking at first, but then it was a relentless kind of tirade and, and it was obviously something that had been on his mind for a while. And really what the, my book is, is to try and understand how can it be that someone who knows me, who knows what I stand for, who knows that I'm a vocal opponent of racism, who knows that I believe in the sanctity of human life, who knows that I believe in liberal values, who knows all of that stuff, yeah. you know, can suddenly decide I'm actually a Nazi. Mm -hmm. um, what, what kind of societal uh, scenario have we developed where that kind of delusion can occur. Mm -hmm. And it's not just me. I mean, there, you know, I've mentioned it because that happened to me, but this has happened to so many oh, different yes. people. Yeah, yeah. How have we reached the point where JK Rowling is considered an evil far-right mm -hmm. bigot, a woman who's given so much money to charity that didn't she sort of pull herself out of billionaire status by yeah. the amount of money that she gave away? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, there is, she's never said anything transphobic, but not just activists online, but members of the media will casually say, she's said transphobic things. Yeah. No, she hasn't. Yeah. So either we accept the reality as it is. And either we, we, we get back to the point where, you know, if I, if I make a claim about someone and someone says to me, where's your evidence for it? And I realize there is no evidence for that. I will retract the claim. And not only that, I'll be grateful because I don't want to make a fool of myself by saying things that aren't true. The ideologues of the critical social justice movement, the new Puritans, they don't see it that way. They don't think the truth is what matters. They think what matters is the end game. And so therefore they will hold fast. That's why they always double down. They double down on on their untruths, they change language, manipulate language, so that that untruth becomes recognized as a new kind of truth. Mm. And that's the, that's the distinction. And I think that's incredibly dangerous. And I think most people are sick of it. Yeah, yeah. I think sick and, and, and frightened as well of where it's all kind of leading. Mm, yeah. um, frankly, I, th I feel that we're all sort of already there. Um, no, it'll get a lot worse. Well, you what? said tipping point, didn't you, earlier? What do you, what, I remember when we talked to Rod Little some time ago, a long time ago now actually, I think, he thought that the whole trans issue, which was then in its infancy, yeah. he thought that was going to be kind of, he called it peak, peak wank, but yeah. ti <laughs> eye tipping point basically. Yeah, yeah, same but thing. Do you think this is proving to be one? So or do you think we've got something much bigger to come? No, I mean, this is why it's either gonna go one way or the other. I mean, at this point, I think we are at a crux moment. And what I'm arguing in the book is either we tackle this and we end up and, and you know, and if we do tackle it and we restore those liberal values that have that have, are proven yeah. to, to help us progress as a society. If we if we do that, then this book will be obsolete in about 10 years time. And people will even say, God, can, do you remember when people wrote books about this stuff? Mm -hmm. It was so weird. Like mm -hmm. what kind of, you know, crazed hysteria did the country go through? So that's one thing that will either happen. That's what I hope will happen. I hope that this book will be obsolete in 10, 15 years time. But if, if we don't, if we just say, look, just ignore them. You know, I've heard people say this all the time, just ignore these culture warriors and when they, then they win. They've already uh, dominated all of our institutions. 
If we don't push back, they will continue to do so, and it will get to the point where, I mean, they, you know, they make lists. They make lists of people with the wrong opinions mm. within universities in order to drive them out. They, you know, and they will continue to do this kind of stuff, and it will get to the point where, you know, they will have won, and we will be in a, a state of authoritarianism. That's that's the only other alternative. You, you obviously, I said you're a comedian. You know, you're known as a not uh, being very funny today. Though. No, no, no. Well, actually, that's the point. I was, you know, <laughs> has it kind of has it has it made you less sort of interested in comedy? I mean, or, or have you found, you know, it sounds so pompous to say, but you know, have you found that this is actually just too serious, that, you know, it now takes up your mind, this? Has it lessened the desire for you to, to perform? Uh, probably insofar as uh, I feel a, 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 an obligation to do this yeah. stuff. And, and so I don't have time to perform as much. I mean, as I was saying that, we're doing a Comedy Unleashed tour, which starts uh, in September. And I will be performing on that tour, right. and you know. But I was at the Edinburgh Fringe uh, last week just for a couple of days, and I thought for the first time I was like, I'm not welcome here. This is most of the venues wouldn't book me. This is, you know, the comedy industry is one of the most captured industries yeah. when it comes to this ideology. So, um, but that said, when I do do stand up, it, it there is a kind of relief to it because I can push a because my on stage persona is more waspish and bitter than I yeah. am, yeah. and therefore there's a really good way to sort of drive this stuff into it and make it funny and make for a fool of myself as well which i quite enjoy doing um so yeah i'm looking forward to doing that tour but like th this is a good example of I mean, even when we announced the tour there was a kind of hysteria from comedians one of them wrote a weird substack piece talking about how at comedy unleashed the comedians just go on stage to tell their racist jokes and to to attack minorities mm -hmm. which has literally never happened at the club mm -hmm. and i would never book someone who yeah. would do that because it's not yeah. funny yeah. right yeah. but this person has just decided that must be what happens and states it as though it is true. I mean, it's bizarre. Uh, and lots of people piled on. There was one comedian who was talking about anyone who does that tour is a fucking scab. Yeah. And we need to not, you know, it's, 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 it's bizarre. I mean, we are talking about a bunch of comedians with a wide range of political views and a wide range of comedic styles uh, touring the country to perform comedy. I mean, what, what on earth is going on, you know? Do you think um, with your show, is it satisfying to you that you get to talk about this and ex explain these things as well to a much bigger audience? I mean, have you found that a satisfying thing, experience? Do you mean in terms of the GB News yeah. show? Yeah. yeah, it's very satisfying because, you know, in my show I'm allowed to talk about whatever yeah. I want and there's no one ever tapping me on the shoulder telling me what to say. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, 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 one of the great things about GB News is we have total freedom. Yeah. There's no editorial line. You know, I mean, part of the hysteria is you'll hear it's a right-wing channel or all the rest of it. Yeah, yeah. No, it's not. Mm. Uh, everyone's allowed to say what they think. And, and you know, GB News, of all the channel, news channels, goes out of its way more than any to get every opinion represented. So we hear everyone. And I, you know, part of the problem I have on my show is, of course, uh, the new Puritans don't want to talk. Mm. And they see debate, they reduce debate to the same way they reduce art they see debate as either uh, a perpetuation of privilege or uh, a means to challenge it. And so if you have the debate, uh, you're airing views that are toxic and dangerous and, and you shouldn't have the debate to begin with. So often when I try and, you know, because I want to hear these people, I spend all my time reading their books and articles, so it's not like I'm not interested in what they've got to say. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I want them to come on and, and talk about it. Yeah. But then they never do. I mean, I think I've invited Stonewall pretty much to every, every episode, every week. And they, they, they have a policy of no debate. But I'll keep inviting them. I'm hoping it's. Have you seen the Shawshank Redemption where he writes that library yeah. every day, and then eventually yeah. he gets all these free books? Yeah. So 
I'm thinking if I just keep writing to Stonewall, they'll be like, oh, all right, we'll just do it. So you are actually going to be hosting this uh, Comedy Unleashed tour? No, you, I'm not. Compare, as it were, it's, it's a different lineup every night. So there's 15 venues all around the country. Uh, we have a different lineup every night, different MC, different. So I'm performing oh, at some of them. Okay. That's all. Now, this, the new Puritans, right? Andrew Doyle, it's out on the 8th of September. Um, so get your order in. Um, thank you very much for coming and talking about it. Really appreciate and, um, it. And all the very best with it. It's, I, I loved it. I absolutely did. And, and also, you know, as you say, it's completely comprehensive history about how this whole thing happened. Well, that's what I'm trying to do. Like, I'm yeah. trying to explain how we got to this point. Because yeah. people are baffled, right? Yeah. They're absolutely confused. They've, 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 they've just, you know, if you think about it, 10 years ago, if you'd have said to any, any of us, yeah, there, there's going to be a, a time in 10 years where the police are going to be investigating people for non-crime, where, where people like J.K. Rowling are going to be demonised as witches, uh, where you won't be able to say that uh, there's a difference between men and women without uh, potentially having your career ruined, etc. No one would have believed it. So if you think all of that's happened over 10 years, where will we be in another 10 years? And, and the book is about explaining how we got here and most importantly, how we get out of it. Well, let's hope that in 10 years it is obsolete. Let's, hope, let's hope I'm out of a job. That's what I want. <laughs> Thank you very much, Andrew. Thanks very much. Uh, that's it this week uh, for So what you're saying is... We shall see you next time. Thank you very much. Hello. If you're enjoying the New Culture Forum channel and you believe in our mission, may I invite you to join our membership scheme at the link below or on our website, newcultureforum.org.uk. Our work is more important now than ever, and we have great plans ahead for the future, but we can't do it without your support. From as little as £3 per month, you can help ensure that we continue on our mission. As a member, you'll receive a range of benefits, including access to exclusive content, invitations to our private events, including here at our studios, free copies of our books, and much, much more, including, of course, our famous NCF mug. If you aren't able to become a member, then please help us by clicking this button and subscribing to our channel. It's completely free. Just remember to also click the bell icon so that you can get notifications when we post new videos. Thank you.